Welcome to Songs of Praise. We hope you enjoy the Christ-centered songs and that it brings healing to your soul.
could maybe impress you with tender words and harmony, a clever rhyme or two. But if all I've done in the times we've shared is turn your eyes on me, then I failed at what. Remember.
in his time in his time you make all things beautiful in your time Lord please show me every day as you're teaching me your way that you do just what you say in your time in your time in your time you make all things so beautiful in your time Lord my life to you I bring may each song I have to sing be to you an offering in your time in your time in your time teach me how to trust and wait for your time when I think I'll just run ahead teach me Lord I must be led and your will is best instead in your
Songs of Praise continues on 3ABN Australia Radio.
Savior, 
they burdens in your heart Is your past the memory that binds you? Is there something that you've carried far too long?
1849. Therefore, I'll give thanks to you, Lord, among the nations, and will sing praises to your name.
chose the surest road, but that road brought me here. So I put up a fight and told you how to help me. Now just when I have given up, the truth is coming. Wondered at you. 
exalted to the highest place, King of the heavens, where one day I'll bow. But for now, I marvel at this saving grace, and I'm in that place once again. I'm in that place once again. Once again I look upon the cross where you died I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside Once again I thank you, once again I pour out my life Once again I pour out my life
With musical messages about our loving Creator God, this is Songs of Praise. There are moments on our journey following the Lord when God illumines every step we take. There are days when circumstances make perfect sense to us as we try to understand each move He makes. When the path grows dim and your questions have no answers, turn to Him. Bow the knee, trust the heart of your Father when the answer goes what you can see. Bow the knee, lift your eyes toward heaven and believe the one who holds eternity. surround us and the rain begins to fall the cold and lonely winds won't cease to blow and there seems to be no reason for the suffering we feel we are tempted to believe God does not know when the storm
What a friend we have in Jesus All our sins and griefs to bear And what a privilege to carry Everything to God in prayer Oh, what peace we offer Pleasure to have your company here on Songs of Praise. We here at 3ABN Australia Radio wish you God's richest blessings. Today, in 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading, we are continuing Banish the Night by the late missionary pilot and pastor Len Barnard, read by Clive Nash. The book is set in Papua New Guinea and is broadcast with the kind permission of Pacific Press and is available in print and digital editions online. Continuing Chapter 9, Among the Cannibals Beginning at the relatively level base of the steep mountain, we climbed for two hours before reaching the first big dwelling. Upon seeing Moi Yi, the occupants relaxed and received us happily. The carriers cut small trees and banana leaves and made rough huts for themselves. We hung our tarp over a ridge pole, spread it apart and tied its edges to stakes. For several weeks this was our shelter and the earth our floor. We were fascinated by these strange people. Their two-storey dwellings were 60 to 80 feet long and about 20 feet wide. The first floor was 10 feet off the ground and here the women and children slept with the small pigs. The women cooked food and passed it through holes in the ceiling to the men above. In the second story were cubicles about ten by eight feet, in each of which several men slept. The men spent most of their time smoking locally grown tobacco. They used pipes made from eighteen-inch lengths of bamboo, with a hole drilled near the blocked ends for the insertion of tobacco rolled in dried tree leaves. Access to the dwellings was gained by climbing up crude ladders. On the approach of an enemy, these were drawn into the huts and the men would shoot arrows from above. 
The filth of these houses, both inside and out, nauseates the stomach and boggles the mind. Scraps of food spat on the floor were never removed. There was no form of sanitation whatsoever. A whole clan lived in each house, perhaps for collective protection. Whenever a person died, a supporting post in the cubicle where he had lived was cut. Thus, after a number of deaths, the large structure became unsafe and was abandoned. In case of an epidemic such as dysentery, when several deaths could occur in a short time, the occupants would have to vacate promptly. In this way, they no doubt left behind most of their source of infection, deriving some benefit from their apparent folly. Making the vicinity of this first dwelling our base for two days, we treated the many sick people, people who until then had absolutely no medical aid. We gave injections for their hideous sores and applied dressings. One young man, who was near death with malaria, was carried piggyback to us and responded slowly to treatment. That same day, a man had been struck on the head with a tomahawk following a dispute over a girl. We sewed up the gash, though we feared a depressed skull fracture. The next day, we walked to two distant houses, returning to camp at night. At the first one, the people refused to gather for injections, saying their chief had died. To make sure their excuse was genuine, I asked to see the body. But they made further excuses. Then, apparently anxious to placate me, they brought a finger freshly cut off a body. We could only guess that the body was being eaten. During the night, the friendly chief near our camp had told our carriers not to cross the Sena River or they would never return. We planned to patrol through the whole area and we needed loyal carriers. But discontent seemed to grow among the non-Christian carriers, so I decided to bring the matter to a climax. I told all the carriers that, in spite of the chief, I intended to go on. I said that I believed God would care for us as long as we did his bidding, and that I was not afraid myself, but that I did not want any frightened men to discourage the others. All who wished could return over the mountain and wait for us. There was silence. No one moved. I pointed to the main murmurer and asked him to come forward, which he did. Then I urged all who had fears to join him. Slowly, one and then another joined the line, until I began to wonder if all would desert us. I remarked to Eric that perhaps we would have to go on alone, but fortunately half the line remained. We needed men to carry the medical supplies, food and photographic equipment, but by leaving some goods at the base we could manage with those who remained. As it turned out, if all had come, we would not have been able to obtain sufficient food. Thus, this separation turned out to be a blessing. So, with 17 loyal men, we went forward. Our first obstacle was the bridgeless Sena River. It was too deep to wade, and the carriers, mountain men, were unable to swim. Eric unpacked his equipment and took movie footage while we searched the jungle for long, strong rattan cane, which we stretched over the water and tied to a tree. Using this as a safety line, we slowly but surely shepherded the supplies and carriers over to the other side. One plucky man with our bedding tried to wade across unassisted, but was swept off his feet. Seeing him and our bedding bobbing downstream, we quickly sprang into action and managed after a few nervous minutes to retrieve both. Just across the river was a typical house in front of which were bones, evidence of cannibalism, bleaching in the sun. 
As we photographed the bones and examined them, the people regarded us sullenly. Then we saw a platform of bones, all devoid of flesh except the feet. Upon investigating these remains, I found evidence of diseased, advanced yaws in one and a bad tropical ulcer in the other. After some humouring, the people eventually lined up for injections, although the men continued to puff nervously on their bamboo pipes. As timid as jungle animals, the women peered from behind capes of beaten bark. We filled the sterilised syringes and started giving the shots. Rabibi, at one end of the line, I at the other. Ten minutes later, he rushed up to me and whispered, Come look at mum fella Mary. Emmy got leg belong man, along neck belong him. Come and see a woman with a man's foot around her neck. This, I remarked to Eric, is going to be interesting. Come and see what it is all about. We got a picture of it, the dried skin of a man's foot tied around a woman's neck. Was this grisly object a charm, a sign of sorry for the dead, an act of penance, or merely a decoration? The wearer showed no embarrassment when we looked at it, a revolting sight to us, but not glaringly gruesome in the local setting. Continuing our journey, we met a group along the trail who seemed half expecting us. Apparently they had heard that we were bringing the white man's magical shots, for when requested they willingly lined up. We hoped they would also learn to value God's supreme gift of salvation and offered a prayer. At the next village we met a tribe who not many months before had raided another tribe around the mountain, killing their chief, whose body was trussed on a pole, carried triumphantly home, and amidst great festivity cooked and eaten. However, they received us kindly, and showed evidence that they were thirsting for something better. It was a joy to bring these simple people satisfying draughts of living water from the fountain of everlasting life, and to minister to their bodily ailments. Hearts were convicted, and later a bountiful harvest was gathered here. Chapter 10 Why Are My People Dying? From the perpetual mud came tiny jungle flies that plagued us day and night, their bites like jabs from a red-hot needle. The mesh of our mosquito nets was not fine enough to keep them out. In order to sleep, we were often forced to cover our heads with towels. On the Karamui Plateau, wherever there was or had been a garden, fallen logs made the pathways, often wet and covered with moss. For the barefoot highlanders, this was not the problem it was for us in our boots, containing many fewer spikes than when we started. Crossing single log bridges over gullies was the most dangerous, even with the aid of our sure-footed friends. At times, to avoid a slip which would have meant a fall of up to fifty feet, we crawled across on hands and knees in a most undignified manner, much to the mirth of the carriers. Even so, Eric and I more than once slipped and crashed into the undergrowth. Besides the ever-present mud and rotting rubbish, we smelled the sickly sweet odour of human flesh drying on the bones in the sun. The only domestic animal was the filthy pig, which lived with the people on the same level equally at home. Such was the setting for cannibalism. For offensiveness, no village equaled Diwai, where on the second day the chief asked me, Why are my people dying? The answer was so obvious that at first I was bewildered. Why indeed? 
I pointed out to him the pollution surrounding his hut and the habit of devouring the dead. This was not the way the true God intended human beings to live. He who created man expected him to live on a high plane. The worship of Korah only degraded them, I explained, but the worship of God in heaven would lift them up. The chief listened thoughtfully and then implored, Please, won't you help us? We have observed that you live a better life, and we want someone to teach us. This required a staff, and a staff required transportation, but I promised to help as soon as we could. While examining this clan of 78 members the first day, I was amazed to find 14 lepers, a staggering 18%, when a 3% incidence is considered high. Upon completing this medical walkabout, I reported to the Director of Public Health an incredibly high overall leprosy incidence of 10% in Karamui, and suggested that the Director send the leprologist to investigate. When I later accompanied the leprologist to Karamui, he found to his amazement just over a 10% incidence of this disease. Into D.Y. was carried a miserably thin 12-year-old girl suffering from a large ulcer caused by yours. The ulcer completely encircled her ankle. We treated her for the duration of our stay, and we learned later that she had completely recovered. In another case, a man carried his wife to us on piggyback. Two of her toes had been eaten away. In spite of their shocking degradation, this man's solicitude for his wife was touching. Seeing the pitiful condition of these people, I was able better to appreciate Christ's feeling when he saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion for them. In the two days we spent here, we shared the consolation of Christ with the suffering people and felt bound closely to them. Some time later, we were able to send them a national missionary, and now there is a clean mission station in D.Y. Passing an almost deserted village the following day, we saw a woman holding a badly burned child. The whole side of his face was covered with a superating black scab, and one eye was swollen and badly infected. The child had rolled into the fire days before, and the only medicine these people used was ashes, which his mother had rubbed into the oozing wound. Rain was falling at the time, so we quickly dressed the injuries with acroflavin emulsion, gave the little mite an injection of penicillin in oil, and offered a prayer. When returning along this route a little more than a week later, I thought to give the little patient another treatment. Arriving at the hut, we asked for his mother and were told that she was away in her garden. We asked and were told that the child's face and head were healed. This we could not believe, so we insisted that we see him. Eventually we tired of waiting and were just setting off when a woman came along the trail. We had almost passed her when I suddenly recognized the mother and child we were looking for. The bandage was gone and clean, healthy flesh covered the whole burned area. His once swollen eye was clear and fully open. A miracle, exclaimed Eric. Though the mother was shy, we could see she was decidedly happier and the little boy smiled contentedly. To be continued. Tune in again next week for the next episode of Banish the Night, written by Len Barnard and read by Clive Nash.
Let's listen to William Ackland as he shares a psalm from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift. There is no surprise in who's written the next psalm, which is a psalm of David, Psalm 28. The subject of this psalm is God answers my prayers. I will pray to you, O Lord, for you are my rock. Please do not ignore me, but if you do not answer me, I shall fall into that pit from which there is no escape. Hear me when I cry out to you, when I lift up my voice to you in prayer and raise my hands towards your holy sanctuary. Do not drag me to where the wicked go, with the amoral who only do sinful things, and those people who sin all the day long, yet make a pretense of goodness to their neighbours, but they harbour only evil. Reward them according to what they have done, O Lord, according to the depths into which they have fallen. Give them their just dues for planning and doing evil. Pay them back in kind for what they have done to others. They do not have any respect for the things you have done, nor for any of the blessings you shower upon your vast creation. You shall destroy them and not aid them in anything they do. May the Lord be praised, for he heard me when I cried out to him. My strength comes from the Lord, and he is my protector. I trust him always, and he helps me every day. Therefore my happiness is found in him, and I shall praise him with songs each new day. The Lord is the strength of his people, an impregnable tower to his anointed one. Save your people and bless the nation of your choice. Be a shepherd to them and lift them up in your arms forever.